0: Hey, guys, it's Elaine, host of Raising Deaf Kids, where we get weekly encouragement, education, and feel empowered to raise our deaf kids as hearing parents together. So grab your coffee and let's get started. Hi, welcome back to the Raising Deaf Kids podcast. Today on the show, we have Melanie Duvall. And Melanie is such a special guest because she really opens up about what it was like growing up with hearing loss, but not really being identified as having hearing loss, especially as you know, far as the school services are concerned. No, she was so generous in opening up to us about her experience growing up hard of hearing and especially her experience growing up in the school system. Melanie also gives valuable tips to parents about how to make the school system better and easier for their kids who are deaf or hard of hearing. You grab a coffee and get ready to hear what Melanie has to say. Okay, before getting into this podcast, I just wanted to stop for a second and make sure you know about this fantastic small business called Love Ashley Rose. Ashley is a deaf adult, and she owns the best clothing and gift shop store. I have purchased at least seven of her shirts. I love her designs. They are a little bit boho, but not overly. And I love how she weaves sign language into the design in a really creative and beautiful way. I believe right now she's doing a sale on winter beanies, and they are so cute. Make sure to go give her small shop some love this holiday season and use the code Elaine 20 for 20% off your first order. All right, back to the show. All right. Hey, Melanie, welcome to the Raising Deaf Kids podcast. How are you doing today? I'm
1: good. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yes, thanks so much. We are so excited. I think you are just going to be such a great resource to our parents and I would love to kick this off with knowing and learning a little bit about you and <clears throat> like, what is your experience and background with hearing loss? Thank you.
1: Yeah. So I uh, had, ex- I've experienced hearing loss my whole life as a child. I obviously didn't know. I didn't know that I heard differently than other children. I didn't really realized that there was an issue with my hearing until I was in I think it's because we only know what we know and if your experience is that you don't hear well and nobody tells you anything different then you just assume that everybody else hears exactly the same way so right. I actually did not have my hearing tested until I outside of school until I was probably close to 40 which wow. seems mind-boggling especially now that I can hear <laughs> seems mind boggling to me that I could manage to kind of get through so many things in my life with hearing loss.
0: Yeah. So your parents, they didn't like realize that you had hearing loss your, your whole life. That's actually a great I'm just question. curious. Cause that's a long, um, I mean, a lot of kids a long time. In, yeah, that we talk to, you know, sometimes get diagnosed later or get misdiagnosed and so they don't get diagnosed, but they get diagnosed by the time they're like three or four now, you know, which is, you know, later when we're talking about like language acquisition and stuff, but not like there. So this is definitely a unique story, but I think parents would be really interested to know, like, did they, you know, did they just not realize, I mean, it sounds like like your language sounds really good. You know, it sounds like maybe your, your language, was fine and I think usually that's the key thing when parents are like my kid maybe my kid can't hear if mm-hmm. they don't catch it from my like birth like we did with our kids it's because like their kids aren't talking and then they're like oh something's correct. wrong correct and and I couldn't tell you
1: like my hearing was better or worse as a small child I really like I said I really only know what I know so after I was diagnosed with hearing loss got hearing aids for the first time, which I to- I cried. I was so yeah. incredibly excited when I could hear for yeah. the first time. It's quite possible that my hearing may have been better as I was uh, learning to speak and later on in my life, for sure. So I asked my mom when all of this stuff came about, I said, when did you first notice or when did you first suspect that I couldn't hear well? And she said, oh, we knew by first grade. Oh, wow. And she said, but we didn't have the ability to do anything about it. And mm-hmm. so she said, we just moved you to the front of the classroom and we hope for the best. <laughs> and, and I was like, well, that was something." That doesn't feel like a good solution. I think it might've been a solution at the time. I'm a Gen X ex- kid. If you know anything about my generation, while I love my parents dearly, I feel like they probably did the best that they could. Boomers are not known for being the most attentive generation towards mm-hmm. their children so I think that I developed a lot of skills pretty early on and I can kind of talk about what that looked like for me and so I was able to kind of navigate my way through a lot of situations as a kid as an adult I got through school I got through college not being able to hear had jobs it 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 really didn't come to light how severe it was until I had a certain job and then I had to have my eardrum rebuilt and that was the first Mm. time I'd had like a really solid hearing test outside of kind of in school. I don't know if they still do them in school where they put the kids with the headphones on and they say, if you hear a beep, raise your hand. I don't know if they still do that in school, but they did that when I was a kid. And they do. my right. I
0: mean my kids we already know that they're deaf and so I just mm-hmm. you know I send them a note every year because <laughs> they'll send home you know the thing in like public schools and my kids are in a charter school but you know that's mm-hmm. like we're doing the hearing test whatever so they do and they still do like the eye test too because I remember doing those too but I just opt out for my kids, because we already know that they have yeah. hearing loss, and they're not—they're—they're they're already regularly seen by audiologists and stuff. So, you know, I—but I do send a note to the teachers every year, reminding them, like, "Hey, he doesn't need to do the test. We already know." Right. Well, one of the
1: things I did as a kid, I didn't want to fail anything, and so if it felt like it had been a while since there was a beep, and I just would raise my hand. Wow. So then I was like, oh. Must must be a beep in here. I'm going to raise my hand. Or it kind of would, it seemed like they were timed. And so I could kind of predict when there was going to be a beep. The other thing is, is they don't test to see like, if you can understand what's being said to you, right? I didn't have a test like that until I was in my forties, where they say, repeat the word that you hear. I didn't have anything like that as a kid. Mm-hmm. I think that that could have made a huge difference if somebody had realized that it wasn't hearing speech correctly and things like that so
0: yeah oh yeah that I mean that's definitely and you know your story is I hear this like honestly a lot from people who are Gen X or even you know my age I'm in my 30s who grew up with hearing loss saying that you know, maybe they got he- like hearing aids, but they actually probably needed like cochlear implants, which they got mm-hmm. like later in life and that their parents did the best that they could. But there I definitely see a pattern of just like there wasn't inform also not information for parents.. Right. Like we have so much information now because like you know, speech therapists and doctors and audiologists are like really trying to get the information out. And we have the social media. which like for better or worse, you know social media but the one thing that social media is good for is that it helps you like research stuff right for your kids which you know my mom did not have like really all that you had was like if you had concerns you go to a doctor or you talk to you know whoever's like in your community whoever your friends who like have kids and figure it out and so and I think there also just were not like resources and awareness for how to um educate, you know, kids who had hearing loss. There may have been more, and I'm not sure for people, you know, for kids who are like deaf and can't hear at all because uh-huh. that's more mm-hmm. of a like, okay, you can't hear, although I know that they had challenges too. But for kids who like can hear some but have some hearing loss, there's I feel like there's definitely a gray area where people almost i am curious about your experience almost expect you to just adapt uh-huh. you know uh-huh. to and like for, for for some reason i'm noticing that people don't view hearing loss the same as like if they saw a kid in a wheelchair Or they saw a kid, like, wearing a walker, like, people don't consider it maybe as, like, severe of a disability as if they saw, you know, someone who's, like, using a wheelchair, but to me, it's the same thing using hearing aids, you know, is the same thing as, like, not giving a kid a wheelchair who needs it or not giving a kid, like, a walker who needs it, but for some reason, our society doesn't view it the same way, and I'm really curious about that, but I am Wondering, you know, what were some of the ways that you adapted and did get through school? (laughs) So, remember? (laughs) Yeah,
1: sometimes to my own detriment. I had a lot of report cards that said Melanie is a daydreamer. Melanie does not pay attention. She doesn't follow instructions. She doesn't follow direction. So, I I got in trouble a lot in school.
0: Interesting.
1: Um, Now, a lot of times I couldn't figure out why I was in trouble. So, for example, a really distinct memory for me was in second grade. So, this is pretty early. I was not following directions. I wasn't paying attention. And so, I got sent to the back of the room, which is like the very worst possible place you can send the child who doesn't hear, right? And then, because I continued to not follow directions, I actually had a teacher throw an eraser at me to get my attention because I didn't wow. know that he was even talking or giving direction at the time. Um, I learned to read pretty early and so I read a lot of directions rather than waiting so I would often jump ahead and start doing the thing because I didn't want to be in trouble for not paying attention or not doing what I was supposed to be doing I relied a lot on cues social cues from other people around me like what were other people around me doing were they reading were they working on their project what were they doing to try to figure out what was happening in the classroom it didn't get better as I got older into middle school and high school I still was getting in trouble even though I would score really high on the tests that they would do I still seemed to struggle with doing assignments and getting homework and especially if I couldn't if I didn't know what the directions were but yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that I've used most of my adult life, one, I learned how to read lips pretty early as well because I couldn't figure out what people were saying. And so mm-hmm. I learned to watch their mouth and watch their face and watch their expressions to at least be able to pick up enough words to generalize what was happening around me. and And then I relied heavily, heavily on social cues but if I got called on individually, that was usually a very big problem because I might not have any idea what, what was happening or what was going on and then would get in trouble for not paying attention. Even at home, my mom would say, I yelled for you, you know, I've been yelling for you for twenty minutes from the other end of the house. I don't understand why you didn't hear me or why you're ignoring me. But usually it's just that I couldn't hear them. I didn't know that they were calling me in
0: in the first place. So Yeah. And that's such like an interesting misconception that I definitely see a lot with kids that you maybe don't know they have hearing loss or people who are just not like educated on like working with deaf and hard of hearing individuals that, yeah, you're like, people get frustrated with you, but you like literally just can't hear them. It's not, you're not, you know, trying to not pay attention or not go by the rules. But what is interesting to me when I'm like hearing you say this is did you ever like like think at any point, maybe even when you were like in high school or a little bit older, to say to tell people like, I can't hear you? Like or, you know, or was that just, you know, did you want to just kind of like blend in and go on? I'm just curious, like how you know, and I guess because I'm so aware because I have two deaf and hard of hearing kids, but I also used to teach. So okay. I was a high school teacher before I started doing all this and became a mom. And I feel like I would not have like if I really thought one of my kids was like just not hearing me, I I don't feel like I would have yelled at them. I feel like I would have eventually at some point approached them and ask them like, Hey, why are you not paying attention in my class? Like I would have had a conversation and then they could have like told me "Oh, I can't hear. And then I feel like I would have like been happy to make the accommodations for them. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm curious why, you know, you think teachers just like, no one asked you like, Hey, can you hear me? Or, you know, did they just automatically assume that you were just like misbehaving or whatever.
1: I think by the time I got to high school, I had been embarrassed enough times, <laughs> either yes. for getting in trouble or or saying the wrong thing, because you think that some, the teacher said one thing or asked you something, and that wasn't what they asked you at all. So yeah. your response was um, not necessarily inappropriate, but it, it didn't match what was being said or what was being asked. So my response... And so a lot of times I would get labeled as class clown or disruptive, got sent to the office a lot. Uh, in ninth grade, um, I had a math teacher who um, made me actually sit in the hallway, cross mm-hmm. in in class from the hallway, because I didn't, pay attention. I didn't pay attention. And so I think by the time I got to junior high and high school, I was already kind of labeled as a troublemaker in class. And so I just kind of fed into that. That was easier than saying something's not right. And I, at Mm -hmm. that point I could tell that I couldn't really understand people, but again, I only knew what I knew. And so I didn't necessarily know, I don't want to say it, didn't necessarily know it was a hearing problem. I didn't necessarily know that other people weren't having a similar problem. I you know, like in my own friend group, I would say, I don't understand what you said. Or I would ask people to repeat themselves. There there comes a point, though, where you you don't understand the person the fourth or fifth time they've said it. You just don't want to ask them again because they start looking at you like, what is wrong with you? Like, there's, there's something wrong about you that you don't understand me. And so even though I'm really an extrovert in every way, <laughs> I... In a lot of situations, I would just become
0: more like an introvert.
1: Even as an adult, going to restaurants was almost like the most horrifying thing I could imagine, especially with a group of people. There's so much
0: like background noise. There's so much
1: background noise that you can't really understand what people are saying to you. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of times I would make an assumption when the server would come, I would assume what they're going to say. And so I would immediately have canned response, you know, I would like. Iced tea with lemon, whatever. And sometimes I would misjudge that and he would look at me like, I don't understand what she's saying to me, or why is she ignoring the thing that I said to her? I have been with my husband for 30 years. And so I would often turn to my husband and I would go, What did they say? Or what are they asking me? Because then he was close enough I could read his lips, I could figure out what he was saying to me and I could respond appropriately. So but I had a lot of Uh, mishaps where I mispronounce things because I can't necessarily hear certain sounds or the way like speech, Mm -hmm. rhythm of speech, things like that. I have basically learned words by reading them. So I mispronounce a lot of things and I've given inappropriate responses so many times that there are certain situations where I just won't speak up because Everybody laughs. Everybody thinks that you're just trying to be funny. You're not trying to be funny. You just didn't hear what anyone said.
0: So yeah. definitely. Did your husband, like when you were dating him, did he know that you had hearing loss? Did you tell him like, I don't think I can hear you?
1: <laughs> well, well, I was nineteen when I met him. And so yeah. I didn't I was I, I was more aware at that time that something wasn't quite right. But a lot of times I would just say, Oh, I didn't hear what you said, or can you repeat that or and he's always been great yeah. about it, I, you know, and we didn't really talk on the phone a lot. Like it didn't, I never liked talking on the phone.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, everything that you're describing when I, you know, have been following other like adults who are deaf, uh, you know, like on social media and they're talking about it. Everything that you have said has been everything that they have talked about, about how they adapt to life as mm-hmm. a deaf person, like kind of blending in canned responses, you know, texting now, which I know like wasn't a thing back then, but (laughs) we're we're trying to be like in person and not on the phone because that's like hard, obviously, you know, not being able to hear in like crowded places, people not understanding and, you know, thinking that you're trying to be one way and you really really just can't hear them. Um, What I am seeing as a theme as you're talking is, like everybody putting it on you to have to adapt to regular life instead of trying to make some accommodations to make it a little bit easier for you, which kudos to you. I think that's really unfair, you know, and one of the things we like to do on this podcast is just bring more awareness to hearing loss in general and how, you know, people like me who are regular hearing can be more aware of like, identifying if someone does have hearing loss and how, you know, what things that we can do is hearing people to help them and accommodate them better, which is something I would love to ask you about. So one thing I'd love to ask you about is when we're talking to parents, I know there's like nowadays a lot more awareness and stuff, but still when parents are wondering if their kids have hearing loss or not, what would you say, based on your experience that parents should be looking for sure. what types of like behaviors or stuff, you know, that would clue them in that like maybe their kid is hearing loss. Cause I've definitely talked to a lot of people Like my kids were deaf from birth, they like failed the newborn hearing screening. So, you uh-huh. know, that we we knew, but I've definitely talked to a lot of parents who have our kids with cochlear implants or so they're getting them that could hear and then gradually lost their hearing. But obviously a little kid can't tell you I'm losing my hearing. Right. You know, they don't have the words. And, you know, so, you know, in situations like that where where maybe their kids were hearing, but, you know, are losing their hearing loss, what are some signs that parents can look out for?
1: I really wish that instead of saying that I wasn't paying attention, that I was daydreaming, that I was ignoring teachers, parents, adults around me. I wish that somebody had said, why is this happening? Like this is an intelligent child. This is an engaging, extroverted child. Why is she not following instructions? Why is she?
0: Slight like behavior change, you know. Why, like, yeah. Why was nobody noticing that I wasn't paying attention?
1: Sorry. I didn't know I was going to get emotional about it.
0: No, you know what? It's hard. I mean, you know, we're definitely open and you went through, honestly, a lot of traumatic experience growing up. And I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. And I'm sitting here wondering too, because I have, you know, two deaf kids and I'm wondering like, my kids obviously can't hear like, you, you, Right. You know, when they're not wearing their cochlear implants, you call their name, they don't respond at all. And I just wonder Also, and, you know, we don't have the answers, but it's just like a general, you know, thought for the audience is, you know, like you were saying, why people were not asking more questions, not asking why and just assume, oh, they're this, they're that. People just make assumptions instead of, you know, asking or coming to you or, you know, asking for further information.
1: Yeah, you know, I I just, I don't think that children choose to be naughty. So if, if a child goes from happy, go lucky, I assume that when I was smaller, I was probably hearing a little bit better. One, because my speech was better. I feel like I, I mean, I learned to talk really early. They thought that I was reading by the time I was three years old, because I memorized Books that were being read to me, and I knew what was on each page. So I must have been, I feel like I must have been able to hear somewhat better as a, as a young child, and that over time mm-hmm. it progressed. So, mm-hmm. what I wish is that somebody would have just said, Why is this child going from this to this? A child that's smart, a child that loves to read, a child that uh, loves to learn suddenly not paying attention suddenly getting in trouble or gradually getting in more trouble why was somebody not saying what might be going on here you know um and just kind of passing it through just keep passing me through each aid without even why this was happening in the first place just labeling me a naughty kid was not
0: was not helpful to me at all so yeah it It was also not true (laughs) Right. And, uh, right. and also you were doing your work right you know and it sounds like you're doing your work very well and I was certainly trying. You know, yeah yeah so I mean I guess you know they the school just said, uh, you know she's doing her work she's passing you know pass her on through you know I don't know this you know questions but certainly I would say you know unfairly putting responsibility on a child to tell you what is happening with them, because that's not really the child's responsibility and children don't know because they're children, right? They, they're right. not, they're not adults. They're not as developed as adults. They don't have the life experience as adults. And so we should be the ones as parents, as, you know, teachers or whoever, you know, you are in a child's life to be the ones looking out for them and asking the questions for them you know, and trying to come to them instead of expecting like a six year old child to come to you and say, I can't hear because they, you know, and like you said, you thought it was normal for a really long time because you were born maybe with hearing loss or maybe it, you know, progressed. But, you know, if you like don't have regular hearing, then you don't know what regular hearing is. You think maybe everybody can hear like this. Yeah, Um, it's really interesting. Kids can't know. Yeah. It's really
1: interesting that you say that. So like I said, I had a hearing test because I had so much damage to my eardrum that Mm -hmm. I had to rebuild it. And at that point in my life, I thought I had one good ear and one bad ear. Like I didn't really, I had one ear that I could hear better out of than the other. Mm -hmm. And so I would usually make sure if I needed to pay attention that that side was where I was paying the most attention. So when I went for the first hearing test and he came out and he said, I want to go over the results with you. Yeah, sorry. Now my nose is running. He said, you have moderate to severe hearing loss in one ear and you have severe to profound hearing loss in your other ear. And I just started crying. Cause I was like, I felt so validated. To have somebody say to me like, no, this is not in your head. You're not, you, you understand people, you understand language. You can't hear. And I was like, oh, God, it was like this, Revelation. Had the had the surgery at that point, the bones and the follicles in my ear had been so severely damaged that even rebuilding my eardrum made no difference in my ability to hear. Went back post surgery, had another test. Results were exactly the same. He said you need hearing aids. I was like, great, I want hearing aids. The first time I put them in, it was literally like going from black and white to color. There were sounds that I had never oh. heard in my entire life. I suddenly heard for the first time. So I remember coming home, and I think my husband was cooking or something. And I had never heard food frying
0: before. Oh, wow!
1: And so I said, "What is that? What is that noise?" I was like, "It sounds <laughs> like little bugs going." Um, <laughs> and he was like, "No, it's the food." And I'm like, "Food doesn't make a sound." And he's like, "Actually." <laughs> It does make a sound. Yeah. It, wow. eat it. Like so, there were certain things that I was not even aware that I wasn't hearing in my life. Mm-hmm. I just assumed you closely. like thought it didn't. I had never yeah. heard them. I couldn't remember ever hearing them, so I just yeah. assumed they didn't make a sound. There mm-hmm. was no sound associated with them. Um, yeah. So. One, it felt super validating to know that there was an actual reason and it wasn't that I was dumb. It wasn't that I wasn't paying attention. It wasn't any of those things. It wasn't anything that I was doing to not be able to hear. Yeah. Um, And then being able to actually hear things and realizing, Mm -hmm. there came a point where I realized, oh my gosh, all the times I may have been in danger because I couldn't hear something. Um, yeah, you know. so, for instance, I live in Montana, and my husband and I love to fly fish on the river. And I don't wear my hearing aids when I'm on the river because I don't want to fall in, have something happen to me. Mm-hmm. But I'm acutely aware of the fact that I probably won't hear a bear either approaching me. <laughs> so I still like rely on other people for certain things, especially if I can't wear my hearing aids. But, yeah, so it, it was just hugely. Validating as a person to know that it wasn't anything that was my fault, that mm-hmm. all these things that were hard for me or that I got trouble for, or that I was embarrassed about, were really not my fault at all. It hadn't been, it had never been my fault. So yeah. uh, that was a huge, huge deal. Yeah. I think I, ch- I think I got off topic a little bit, but no, you're was, good.
0: I, it was such an yeah. exciting moment. <laughs> No, I love that. And I think, it you know, that it just helps all of our parents who are listening um, to even just know like your experience, because most of us like, you know, I think the statistic is like 90% or something of kids with hearing loss are born to regular hearing parents. So we, you know, we're trying to parent kids without understanding like their life experience because we can hear and they can't, you know, so I, I don't know what it's like to not be able to hear certain things or you know, I didn't, I didn't realize that you didn't know some sounds didn't exist <laughs> because like, of course I do, because I've always been able to hear them. And, you, you know, so parents often, you know, I think also get nervous and like scared when they first find out their kids have hearing loss because they don't know what it's like. I think it really helps parents. It helps me personally to hear all these stories of adults who have gone through life with hearing loss. And, you know, even though it was really hard, you did succeed through school, you know, you did have a family, like you're doing all these things that when, you know, I have a newborn baby and they're like, your baby can't hear, like all these things are going through my head. Like how in the world am I going to like raise this child who can't hear, you know? And so it just, you know, helps us to know, Your experience and it helps us to parent our kids better, understanding, you know, your experience and what it was like in school. You know, we can say, "Oh, okay, that sounds like they missed a lot of things." So, you know, maybe like we can do this differently for our kids. So, just knowing your experience is really helpful. And I thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. I would definitely, you know, I think parents are definitely, wonder you know have questions about when their kids like get hearing aids for example um you know maybe you can help us answer like do you hear everything at like one time is it overwhelming do you need breaks like how much can you hear that is such I a know, great like, parents question always wonder that <laughs> about their kids cuz also kids are like like my kids got their cochlear implants when they were like 11 months old So, you know, kids and, like, babies now, they're trying to get hearing aids and cochlear implants, you know, into kids, like, much earlier so that they can have an easier time developing their speech. Because that's also, like, when language and speech is developing right at that, like, crucial age. Yeah. So, that means when, like, our kids are getting cochlear implants and hearing aids, we have no idea, like, what their experience is because they're literally babies and Uh they can't tell us, like... It's too loud, or I hear all these things that, like, you know, they're babies, and then they'll not. Ne- I mean, my kids will never be able to tell me because they've never heard; they've right. only heard this way, which is fine. But you know, it's just there's a lot of, I think, unknowns for us parents through their babies. Well, I think if I've I figured out how to describe hearing people
1: what my hearing was like before, so I equate it to being like if you put your head underwater and the way you can hear things outside of the water. So it Mm -hmm. sounds like, okay. I can hear, I can know that people are talking or I can hear sounds around me. You, I can't really differentiate between sounds. I can't really Mm -hmm. decipher like language, especially was very hard. I'm very fluent in reading and writing Spanish, but I can't speak or interpret it at all because there's so many little nuances Mm -hmm. in speech that I can't, I I just, even with hearing aids, I can't quite have really, really struggle to hear fluctuations in sound. And so that's the best way I think I can describe what my hearing was like pre-hearing aids. I could hear that people were speaking. I could hear that dogs were barking. I could hear cars going, but I couldn't, they weren't clear in any way. And then when I first got my hearing aids, the first year that I had them, I'll be really honest, I did not wear them all the time. One, I had no idea that the world was so freaking loud. It is so loud. I didn't know my friends were so loud. I didn't know, I didn't realize. You could hear in a restaurant that you could hear other people's conversations. Oh wow! I didn't know. Like I heard blah 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 whatever, but I didn't realize you could actually understand other people, like like see what they're saying that weren't sitting next to me. So (laughs) for the first year, it was really just incredibly overwhelming when I would wear them because my brain had no idea how to filter out what I needed to listen to and what was background noise. My brain was just like for the very first time taking in every single sound and trying to figure out what it was. Like I said, more sounds I'd never heard before. So between that and the sounds that I thought I knew was just overwhelming. Sensory wise, I was on sensory overload most of the time that first year. So a lot of times I would wear them in situations where I needed them, like going to work, Mm -hmm. like going to the doctor's office where I really needed to be able to pay full attention to the conversation Um, But I found that I was either taking them out or turning them off a lot because I just could not handle all of the input. It just felt like so much. And then at the end of the day, taking my hearing aids out when I got home was like one of the best feelings in the world. I was like, oh, thank God, I can finally (laughs) like relax and my brain could calm down and shut down. really, it took at least a year for me to adjust to all of that all of the noise to try to learn how to figure out what certain sounds were. And there are times still when I run into things that I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that is. (laughs) I don't know what that is. And I have to ask somebody else, do you know what that sound is or why is it making that sound or why is that? Interesting. (laughs) But now I wear them all the time from the time that I get up in the morning. till I go to bed at night. I don't like Mm to be without them now because it's, Just my life is so much easier and it's so much richer and so much more vibrant when I can actually hear what's being said but my brain has also learned to filter out what's important what's not important and it just couldn't do that eventually
0: so yeah I think that that is a good explanation sounds like it was a process yeah it it was was a process process of like getting used to the sounds wearing them needing more breaks and then as you like continued and your brain was able to like recognize the sounds then you could like wear them more and more. That's what that sounds like. So I hope you can't hear my dog freaking out upstairs. I can't, no.
1: (laughs) Okay, good. That makes
0: me feel so much better. No, I'm good. It's coming unglued, but. Yeah, no, not at all. I have kids, so, you know. (laughs) We have full houses over here. Yeah, so for parents who are like just getting their babies hearing aids or cochlear implants, what are some tips that we can give them to maybe help the transition be like a little easier for their babies or their kids? So I work a lot with
1: families of newborns and I talk a lot with them about, you know, being overstimulated and sensory overload in those first months. I think it's the same approach. I think we have to be really careful about, we have to understand that they're hearing things they've never heard before. They're taking in information they've never taken in before. By the end of the day, your brain is just literally exhausted going through that. And so just being aware that I would imagine, as it was for me, it's very easy to get overstimulated. And you, by 6 o'clock on those first days especially, I just wanted people to not talk to me anymore. Like, I just didn't want to take in any more sound. I had already taken in all day. So I would say kind of the same advice that we give with newborns is being really Mm -hmm. sensitive to the fact that they are on sensory overload by the end of the day. They've just taken in so much new information. The little brains are taking in so much information anyway, but now we've just multiplied that. Um, I found myself having my own temper tantrums at the end of the day because I just didn't want people to talk to Mm -hmm. me anymore in my own house didn't want to have to process any more than I already had been. And I think it's probably the same for babies and small children. They just mm-hmm. are like, oh my God, shut it
0: down. Just shut it down.
1: Oh so, yeah. I your would baby being,
0: yeah. If they start being like fussier when they have mm-hmm. them on, maybe say like, okay. Or if like you have younger kids and they're starting to like kind of have a tantrum halfway through the day and they're wearing like hearing aids or cochlear implants, so you like, okay, it, it may not be their behavior. It may be that they need like a hearing break.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a big thing. And there are still days if I'm doing a lot of new things or I'm in a new city where mm-hmm. my brain kind of gets overloaded and I'll just take my hearing aids out <laughs> because I'm like, yeah. I just don't want to hear anything anymore. But yeah, and there are certain situations that are so loud and so overwhelming still that I'll turn my hearing aids off because I'm like, I just cannot do this. Cannot yeah. do it. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, my boys, when they get home from school, they usually take their cochlears off for a little bit, which is totally fine. We let them do that. But I mean, we let them take off their cochlears whenever they want a break because usually they want them on. Usually right. they do want to hear, they ask for them to like be put on in the morning so we know that when they are taking them off, like, you know, around like lunchtime, halfway through the day, if it's like the weekend and we've been doing stuff, you know, and they want to like play silently, <laughs> you know, and after school, especially they're tired anyway. And a lot of times they take them off in the car or take them off when they get home. And like, honestly, they'll watch... <laughs> it's so interesting to me. They'll like watch TV. So, uh-huh. Like They still want to watch the TV. They can't, or well, my seven-year-old can read, my five-year-old can't read yet, but uh-huh. I mean, they don't to really care. But they'll still like watch the cartoon, but not like not want to hear it, like still have the thing. And I'll, you know, I know because I'll try to put it back on them and they'll be like, no, they'll be like, okay, you need a break. And so, you know, I let them have a break until they, you know, want to put them back on or we like, you know, want them to put them back on. But yeah, yeah, that's definitely a great point is just being aware that there's a lot of sensory going on, especially when your kids first get implants or first get hearing aids. Oh, for and sure. To allow that, like to process out, and that they might be fussier. They may need more breaks, and it's okay to give them those breaks because a lot of times, also the audiologists and speech therapists like want us to make to have them wear it like all day because they're getting the language, and so their you know yeah. parents are hearing wear them all day wear them all waking hours is what they tell us but then in reality kids get tired
1: I think <laughs> their brains yeah, get, we tired get tired
0: and there's got to be a balance you know and I agree my my opinion and it sounds like that's what you're saying too is that all waking hours is just not possible
1: yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. and I think but, you know really pay attention with that in um, babies and toddlers who are not speaking Because their only ability to tell you that they've had too much is to be crying and busy.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like from this conversation also, maybe telling parents to ask questions whenever their child has some type of behavior change, even older, you know, older kids, they're having a behavior change in school all of a sudden um, and nothing else is like going on at home or you know, they're having a behavior change at home or your baby is really fussy, you know, around lunchtime every day because about halfway through the day or, you know, at nap time or your toddler is really fussy. Start asking questions instead of just assuming they're not behaving or they're having tantrums, like start asking questions like, okay, why? And like try to get the root of, because kids like aren't always, even kids who can talk aren't always going to tell you because they're kids. (laughs) You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. even kids Mm -hmm. who are older are going to start fussing first or start having a tantrum and then you like sit down and talk to them and you realize there's actually something else going on, but kids like, you know, don't know how to process their emotions like adults do because they're not adults, you know? So it sounds like just having awareness as a parent of what your child is doing and noticing those behavior changes and start asking questions instead of just assuming that they, you know, just aren't behaving well. Yeah. Yeah, I wish
1: somebody would have said, why are you not paying attention? Why is this hard for you? Why are you not following directions instead of just,
0: you're not following directions. So, yeah. Yeah. What, you know, in case there are any like teachers or educators listening, what, you know, can we, what tips can we give them to say, if you have, you know, a student who may be hard of hearing in your classroom. What can you do to help them be more successful? Oh,
1: my goodness. I have a lot of things to say about that. (laughs) One of the things that I would have really uh, appreciated would have been written instructions (laughs) for Mm -hmm. assignments. Um, And I didn't even really think about this. My daughter has an IEP uh, Mm -hmm. because she has a sensory processing issue. And one of the things that they did was provide notes for her, provide instruction, written instructions for her, that would have made such a huge difference my understanding of what was happening. When I look back, I feel like I missed so much in my education both in through public school and through college because I couldn't hear. So I feel like my notes were probably incomplete and taking notes, I think that I would have performed so much better on assignments and exams. I probably heard maybe 30% of what was being said. So if you're only taking notes on 30% of a lecture, it's going to be pretty hard to be successful on any exams or assignments resulting from that lecture. So uh, that's something that would have helped me tremendously. Also, anywhere that you can provide closed captioning on videos, on online lectures, on anything like that, would have been tremendously helpful as well. I took an exam as an adult, failed it the first time. I only failed the video portion. I wrote back to them and I said, I feel like I failed the video portion because of these reasons. At this point, I still didn't Mm -hmm. have hearing aids. I said, well, we can set you up to retake that portion and we'll provide closed captioning. And I was like, oh my God, that would be amazing. Fast with no problem. So I, I think, Yeah. Providing notes, written notes, providing written instructions for assignments uh, or especially large assignments. Okay. Having those written instructions would have been huge. And then closed captioning whenever possible.
0: So I'm going to keep coughing. Okay. No. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about that would be helpful, you know, when parents um, are crafting IEPs, that's other questions we get a lot. It's like, how to craft an IEP for kids who are deaf and hard of hearing, because a lot, I found that in my experience, my kids are now in a fantastic school. My five-year-old who was in preschool last year did okay in the public school, but I definitely, through talking with our speech therapist, having multiple IEP sessions, got a sense that they really didn't understand how to educate a child who was more on the deaf side. So my five-year-old uses sign language and His spoken speech is not developing great because he's still hard of hearing, even with his cochlear implants. So there are still like speech sounds and things, probably much like you, even with his implants, he can't hear. And so he needs that visual. And I found that the school system was pretty good at educating and with IEPs with kids who like my seven-year-old, like has an implant or is aided, but can hear everything. And, like, they know what to do, but it's, like, they don't know what to do when a child can't hear everything, and then, like, the school system is, like, like, they don't know what to do. And I'm not sure why I think it's not being taught when you're going through the special education system from what I've, like, taught to you from different people who, like, have been in school. So I know a lot of parents, so it comes down to the parents to have to figure out, okay, what does my kid need? Which like, we don't know. And then we have to like, try to like tell the school system, this is what my kid needs. So what can we tell parents to maybe think about putting into their IEPs for their kids that would help them be more successful in school and to help um, educate the school system a little bit?
1: Yeah. I think just those things that, like I talked about, you know, especially once children are reading, being able to provide written notes would is is huge, huge. Especially because if I had had written notes and even when my daughter had her written notes, you can make notes on the side of anything that you need to add to that to right. for your personal understanding. If I could have just had that skeleton structure so I knew what the teacher was talking about all the way through, that would have been such a big, that would have been a tremendous help. Like I said, only mm-hmm. getting 30% of a lecture was just not enough to really provide me with a good solid base of education on that topic. Understanding too that all kids learn differently, that some of us are not auditory learners, even if we can hear, um, we might be visual learners, we might be kinesthetic learners, just having that understanding of how your child learns and then providing mm-hmm. opportunities for them to learn that way. Um, yeah. Just putting me at the front of the classroom was never really beneficial to me in any way because just, I was just because something's louder doesn't mean mm-hmm. you can understand it. I and that's like the it. default.
0: For like deaf and hard of hearing kids, the first default is like put them in front of the classroom and that, you know, from what I understand (laughs) from our conversation is it's much more nuanced than that. Yeah, much more. I
1: absolutely hated going to the movie theater because even though it was very, very loud, still couldn't understand anything that was being said. So louder people yelling at you, people speaking louder to you really makes no difference. What is helpful is people better articulating so that you can read their lips. COVID was one of the worst things I think happened to deaf and hard of hearing people because you couldn't read lips. Everybody was wearing a black mask. You couldn't understand anything that people were saying. So again, written instructions, having notes that are already written out for you that you can add to, closed captioning. But again, all of these things are only beneficial if your child can read. So, you know, if you have a younger child who's just learning to read, there's gonna have mm-hmm. to be other accommodations made. But it's not moving kids right. to the front of the classroom or speaking to them louder or yelling at them or throwing erasers at them because that you don't know why you're throwing the eraser at them in the first place. <laughs> which it sounds funny now not so funny when you're seven no, I years mean, old it sounds.
0: It does sound funny it sounds really wild and I can't believe Crazy. like a teacher would throw and I mean if I ever heard that a teacher was throwing an eraser at my child and I don't care if that's my hearing child who can hear they're hearing about it right. but that's not okay <laughs> you know I mean I'm just saying like I can't believe that happened that's that's never okay to throw something at a child as a teacher or any I mean any adult but you know as a teacher Um, 43 years later
1: I it it was so impacting to me that 43 years Mm -hmm. later I still I can tell you everything about that incident because I, I didn't one I had no clue why she was throwing the eraser at me None. Yeah. Whatsoever. I thought I thought we were supposed to be working on something, not looking at her and paying attention. So lots and lots of visual cues
0: mm-hmm.
1: for sure that somebody is even speaking to you. You don't know. Yeah. yeah. Nobody was tapping me on the shoulder and telling me to pay attention or giving me any visual direction what I was supposed to be doing. So yeah. uh, I just assumed they weren't talking or they weren't talking to me.
0: Yeah, um, well, And that sounds like that could be a good, you know, if you're talking about kids who are in, like, preschool or kindergarten or maybe even first grade and can't quite read as well yet, you know, just doing things like tapping them, you know, making sure you're facing them so that they're seeing you and you know that, like, they can hear you, you yeah. know, letting them, you know, giving them, you know, quick tap to say, hey, like, I'm talking, making sure they're facing you. um. You know, we do some ASL signs. So, you know, like a visual, like representation of the language is also helpful, even if you're not fluent in ASL, even if it's just like a few signs that help communicate, at least until like they're learning how to read and talk a little bit better is helpful. And that's what we've done with our preschool. And also, and my five-year-old still does this because he doesn't really talk like visual, like, I guess, schedule. Uh Uh-huh. Which is what, and which I think would yeah. be great for preschoolers. So like, you know, you're going to do this now and this now, and then we're going to check it off and ha- like, and it's pictures um, so Absolutely. that they can at least have a visual of how like the day is going to go and like what to expect um, during the day. I think that would be helpful. And also um, you, teachers can even make like visual. So my five-year-old does us um, a visual, like stop sign for stop <laughs> or, you know, the like routines and schedule, you know, that you follow in like a preschool classroom, have it in like a visual picture so that the child, even if they can't read yet, can follow around and be like, oh, now it's time to sit down, <laughs> you know, like, exactly. sit down, you know, and you can still say yeah. the word or still sign it, but they're also getting that like picture and, and they start to like associate the picture with the action, right? And they're like, exactly. okay, time to sit down or time for a story time, you know, and that kind of helps them like follow along the day so yeah just... visual cues for sure
1: and even so our daughter has auditory processing disorder so mm-hmm. even we did for her we had laminated little cards they we had were on like a yeah mm-hmm. that's
0: what i'm talking about yeah, yeah <laughs> and she could flip them over mm-hmm. as she completed yes. them
1: that was incredibly helpful to her if If somebody needs to get my attention and they visually get in front of me and they're speaking directly to me, that's so much more helpful than when somebody is talking over here and thinking that I know they're talking to me. Because even with Mm -hmm. hearing aids, I don't necessarily know because you're over here, you're saying anything to me. So getting directly in front of me so I can read lips, so I know that you're speaking to me, making eye contact, all of those things are really incredibly important. I've gotten so much better in the last 10 years of saying this is what I need from you or even telling people like I'm hard of hearing I don't understand you I'm starting to learn ASL but because I learned to um, speak first I find that I know that there's two different kinds there's ASL where um, that you're actually speaking the language and then there's yeah ASL where you're translating directly like how
0: how to speak Mm -hmm.
1: And I find that I fall into this category because I don't. That's what we do with our five-year-old.
0: Yeah. Right. I mean, right now, that's what we do with our five-year-old because we are, and that feels like that makes sense for people who have like developed speech and can hear some speech because you're Mm -hmm. literally just adding like a visual to the language. Right. You know what I mean? And that's what we're doing with our five-year-old because, you know, we're trying to teach him to read and stuff in, in school. And so right now we do ASL signs, but in what is called English word order. So as that's, we're talking, we're signing exactly, yeah, what we're talking. And then later we may, you know, move him towards, you know, the fuller language of ASL if he wants to. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who've learned ASL, learned ASL like later in life. And from yeah. what I hear, it's a process, <laughs> which was <is> very <laughs> encouraging to me as a parent to know that, like, I don't have to learn like this whole language at one time. Like, we can, like, you know, yeah. as long as we're communicating effectively in the home. But yeah, that is fantastic that you're doing that. And I know a lot of people who do that: the ASL signs, but in English word order. I think that's a fantastic way to just like add a visual to what people are saying. I think
1: English word order too. If you're talking to people who are hearing. Mm-hmm. easier for them yeah. they already understand how that language goes I think sometimes right. when you try to speak to them in ASL especially if they only know a handful of words yeah, they get confused on what you're saying <laughs> and yeah. so I find it easier to speak with hearing people for example on an airplane I always take my hearing mm-hmm. aids off on an airplane because airplanes are very overwhelming for me just in general and they're loud
0: for me. They're so, so... loud.
1: That I'm not going to be able to really distinguish anything anyone's saying anyway. So when you're, when I'm speaking to a flight mm-hmm. attendant or somebody like that, and I'm, it's much easier for them to understand if I'm speaking with direct word. And so I find that as I'm starting to learn ASL, that's what I tend to rely on more and more. I was mm-hmm. told by the audiologist, I should expect my hearing loss will continue to, increase over time and so I expect okay. that eventually I may not hear at all and that, mm-hmm. that is just what it is so that's why I'm like I need to try to gain another language skill that was the other thing i would never really heard my voice very well oh wow my own, yeah or at least that I could remember as an adult so really being able to hear my voice I remember saying a lot oh my god that's what I sound like I think people hopefully in a good way in a good way, but I think people think because it's inside of your head that somehow mm-hmm. you're going to hear it better and yeah. you hear other people, and that's not
0: necessarily true. That's so, a good point because I feel like I'm louder in my own head. Yeah. Than never hear other people. So that's good
1: to know. Yeah. My friends would joke, they're like, oh my God, she can't whisper <laughs> at all because I didn't understand not that I had to whisper really loud because I couldn't hear them either. Um oh. And I always spoke really loud because Mm. I couldn't really hear my own voice very well unless I was really projecting my voice. So I assumed that other people couldn't hear me either because, like I said, I didn't know what I didn't know. So, yeah, whispering has been a whole new thing. Mm -hmm. I don't have to whisper really loud, which is weird. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So I still don't like it when people
1: whisper to me, but.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds like in your hearing aids opened up just like a whole new kind of world, which was fun, hopefully. Maybe also some extra challenges, but fun to kind of like explore different sounds yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's now good, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad that you, yeah, that you're able to do that. I think it's awesome that you're learning some signs because that can probably only help you and everyone else uh, around you. And yes. just for... Encouragement, because they encouraged me. I was interviewing someone the other day who has a deaf sister, but she didn't actually learn sign language to like communicate with her sister until she was like an adult, like in her like 20s. Oh, wow. And decided like, I need to learn to talk to my sister. So they were a family who had like a deaf child but didn't learn sign language and just communicate with like home sign language and like pointing to stuff. And so, and now she has like, uh, like online sign language classes for like anyone. And she said, you know, a lot of parents come with like their kids, but she said, we also have had some like older people come uh, (laughs) who are, want to learn it because they're starting to lose their hearing and they like are like wearing hearing aids, but they also wanted to learn to sign, you know, because they're losing their hearing. So it's never too late because these are people in their like sixties and seventies. She said that are coming and like learning sign language for the first time. And they've been hearing their whole life. And they need to. So it's actually never too late. Nope. <laughs> to nope. never it. too late.
1: Well, I found that during COVID, sometimes I would tell people that I was hard of hearing and they would start signing to me and I would be like, I don't know what you're saying to me. Yeah. I know the mm-hmm. alphabet. I can spell things, but that takes a really, really long time to tell yeah. people. And so that was when I was like, oh, I think it's going to be incredibly beneficial. If I can learn some signs. And I we taught our daughter some signs. She probably knew 150, but not in a way that you could have an actual conversation, right? Like we'd yeah. like bird, car, go, uh, yeah. cookie, juice, things like that. Not where you could actually hold a whole conversation with somebody. I find that not a lot of people out in the world know a lot of sign language. So if I just know like some really good basic words, like when I get on a plane, if, if I can tell them I'm hard of hearing, I can tell them I want water tell yeah. them ask them where something is that's really all I need to know but it would be great to be able to have conversations with people mm-hmm. um, who can speak ASL in, in either form being able to just yeah. have a good conversation with somebody so or ask where something is or you know yeah like that
0: yeah yeah no yeah that's great and I thank you that's really great advice you know for our parents you know thinking about working with their kids at like a younger age for sign language, if they can just start incorporating just a few signs and like build on, which is what we do. I'm not fluent in sign language. I mean, we're working towards it, um, you know, but I think it's going to take a while to be, <laughs> to be honest, but my yeah. five-year-old isn't fluent either. And so it's like, we're learning some signs and teaching him and, you yeah. know, it, it is like just going to be a process and that's okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, It's going to have yeah. to
0: be okay. It's, yeah, It's going to have to be. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I don't, don't
1: know understand. how that's going to translate outside of English, but uh, it's still great. Like in Spanish, I just yeah. have to write it out because I can't speak it yeah. and hope that people don't want to speak to me. But yeah, it's, I think it's a great thing. I'm glad. And there's so many more like apps and online programs yeah. um, and things to learn ASL that didn't exist when I was a kid. Um, yeah. Where are you learning yours through? Uh, I have an curious. app, but I've also taken okay. some, there are a couple of schools that offer free online courses mm-hmm. uh, at different times of the year. So I've been using InnerSign ASL. Okay. It's an app online, which has been really great. I also oh, cool. bought some books because I would like to uh, learn mm-hmm. the pattern of speech with ASL or the pattern of communicating. And okay. so some of the books are better about helping with like sentence structure and so a little bit everywhere but I don't really have a lot of people around me who use it I wish that I did I think something that would be helpful is to seek out a group uh, where I could practice
0: with Mm -hmm. with other people who use ASL regularly yeah yeah that I mean yeah for sure. Yeah. That and that is a lot of like the advice that I've gotten when I've asked people, like, how did you learn your ASL? Which is how I like to ask <laughs> to find the resources. And that was one of the things they said is like, we took, you know, a course online, we took a course, but then, yeah. you know, after we like, you know, learn enough or like learn the basics, we, you know, tried to find like a deaf chat in our area or someone that we could like regularly work with because it, it is like, it is literally learning a new language. And mm-hmm from what we know about learning a new language, you have to like keep using it and just like keep using it to, yeah, to get it. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank yeah. you. I know we're getting kind of towards the end of our time. I want to respect your time and you have been so fantastic and telling us your story today. I really appreciate it. If you, well, first of all, tell parents where we can find you. We didn't even get into the baby sleep today, so we may have to do round two which that's okay. every guest I've had on the show, we've been like, we may have to do a round two. <laughs> so nope, that's we'll, okay. I'll do that for a round two about baby sleep because I know our parents have questions about having getting their babies to sleep too.
1: Yep, we can definitely talk about that. I do, my me and my team provide night nanny care for newborns through six months. And then we provide infant and toddler in-person sleep coaching six months to 18 months. And so- I love the idea, too. We use a lot of techniques that could be easily adapted for infants and toddlers who can't hear and don't speak. And so there are lots of great things that you can use to help them and guide them with sleep and also provide comfort and soothing to them that aren't necessarily shifting or using your voice. So they can find me at Goodnight Baby Mon- I'm at Goodnight Baby Montana, so you can Google that. Or the website is www.goodnightbabymt.com You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. We have lots of new things that we're doing. We currently serve in person.
0: We serve all of Western and Central Montana because that's where,
1: that's where I live.
0: <laughs> and we'll definitely link all of that in the show notes so that everyone that's can wonderful. come find you. And I think, I mean, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but hopefully... We can set up a round two about the baby sleep because that is like a lot of questions that we get from parents too. (laughs) I would love to. to I would love to. Especially deaf and hard of hearing kids.
1: Yes. And if people want to reach out to me about this, about Mm -hmm. my own experience with not hearing and all of those, you can still contact me through Goodnight Baby. (laughs) That
0: would be fantastic. Yes, we'll definitely make sure people can get your information. And I like to do, if there's like one thing, one tip or one piece of encouragement, that you can leave with parents, what would that be? Oh gosh, in regards to hearing or in regards to sleep, it could be either one. Maybe hearing, Maybe since uh, hearing, since that's, that's what we've been talking outside. about. I think
1: the biggest takeaway is paying attention, and when you notice that there's a change, ask asking questions, and not just asking questions of the child, but asking questions of the people around them, and saying you know, even your pediatrician or speech therapist or somebody, something is different about my child. And I want to find out what is going on because it, it would have made just huge, huge, and life-changing difference for me. Um, if I had gotten help as a young child, as opposed to being 40 years old <laughs> and finally hearing yeah. it for the first time.
0: So, Yeah. Amazing. Thank Thank you so much for being on the podcast and for helping our parents out and for telling your story. We really appreciate everything today. I appreciate you inviting me. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Did you not just love that episode with Melanie? As you can see, she was so open with us and so vulnerable, which is not easy, you know, to do. Listening to stories you know, and telling stories is not easy for a lot of deaf adults. Sometimes there's a lot of trauma that happens, you know, in childhood and growing up. And, you know, Melanie was so generous to come and talk to us as parents. And hopefully, as parents, we can learn a little bit from Melanie's experience and make the school system better for our own deaf and hard of hearing kids. If you've been hanging around the show for a while, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so that you never miss another podcast episode. If you're feeling really generous today during this holiday season, I would be blessed so much if you would take a few short seconds to leave a review and rate my podcast just wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps the podcast become more available to other parents so that they can find the information that they need. I hope you have a Merry Christmas and I'll see you next week.